Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hi there, I'm Rebecca Lowe. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Guys, uh, amazing finish we just saw. Uh, Robbie, biggest reason you feel Brentford was able to come from what appeared to be a sure loss to pull out three points? Because they believe in the manager's strategy and processes. They believed in their football today. It was late on in the game and it was getting to a stage where Watford were defending well and kicking things away. But they kept their football. They believed in, 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 in the way they wanted to play. And I said to before the game that, that Thomas Frank had said... If the performances are good, the points will come. And the performance was, was decent today. It's just that they couldn't finish. And in the end, they got the reward. I, I think adding on to what Robbie just said then as well, there was two things that stood out when I spoke to Thomas Frank. One of them was he said what he's been really happy about this season is he's had two bad halves. Mm. One, the, one was the first half against Burnley. The other was a second half against West Ham. So he's never had two bad halves. So he's always got the trust in his team. And I also asked him, what were your concerns early on in the season? He said, our reaction to either injuries or loss of form. Well, the reaction to injuries, you lose Pennock, you lose Ivan Tony, you lose Raya. Three of your most important players in the team. They go a goal down and they come back and win the game. So that tells you about the character of the team and what the manager has, has bred into the players as well. On the other side, I mean, can you imagine the heartbreak oh. for Watford right now? I have to say, it's not very often I feel sorry for a team, but I felt a bit sorry for, for Ranier and his team today because for 70, 75 minutes defending-wise, they, they were giving it everything. But their lack of real uh, attacking, their, their, their ability to, to keep the ball w w was a problem. And they just got deeper and deeper. And about 20 minutes ago, I said to Danny, it's a long time to hang on. 20 minutes is a long time in, in Premier League football. And what you find with the Premier League, maybe even compared to the Championship, it's cruel. It's unrelenting, and it doesn't care to, 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 to boot you in the backside. And that's what we'll, Watford have had today. And the scenes at the end tell you that for, for Brentford, this was as big as that first day I talked about Arsenal, the first game in the Premier League when people were in tears. This was as big because Brentford now have 20 points. That's what they say halfway to safety. They're middle of the table. There's a 10-point gap between Brentford and the bottom of the table. That, for, for a club that's just been promoted, has been an excellent start. Watford have got a bottom three defence and a top 10, 12 forward line. But at the bottom, it's all about defending. That's what keeps you in the Premier League. Not the amount of goals you score, but how well you defend, and that's Watford's problem. Been a real problem recently. Last eight games coming in, they conceded more goals than any team in the Premier League, and that came back to get them again today late in that 2-1 loss to Brentford. Thomas, congratulations. Just describe your emotions over the last sort of 10 minutes of that game. Ah, it's crazy. Uh, this is what football is all about. Um, these are the moments we are working so hard to try to achieve and um, experience. I think the, the game against Leeds was cruel, you know, conceding uh, almost last minute. Now we are scoring almost last minute. Uh, but I'm so proud of this team. Um, we're playing against Watford. We have quite a lot of injuries. We have two of our key, key, key players out with Corona. We're playing players out of position. Um, I think they have around 1,500 
Premier League games between them in the squad. And we have 150 and we go in here and we just, you know, attack. We don't settle for draw. We want to have to, we want to go for the win. Uh, unbelievable mentality from the team. Let's take a look, guys, at that late penalty that led to the 2-1 game winner. Yeah, I just wanted to go back to it really and talk to Dan about Tristan Kong, who makes the challenge here. And, and kind of we've all been there. And Danny's a centre-back, I was centre in the field. But what happens is, as the ball's coming, two things for me. One, you make up your mind you're going to go and win the ball, so you dive in to this. A good attacker reads that and goes in. And the second thing that I've always felt now, sometimes it's fear. It's fear of what might happen. And so you go and make a challenge that... You, you watch after the game, I can guarantee you, it almost feels like an out-of-body experience. Like, what was I doing? But it happened, and that became the, the, the difference between the two teams. He, he's gambled and he's preempted what's going to happen. And because of that, he dives in. What he's thinking is, he's thinking that Godaz is going to take another touch, take it towards the byline, he can make the challenge. More often than not, when you're in the box, first of all, you don't want to have to make sliding challenge. And secondly, you want the forward to go where you want him to go. What you're doing, you're gambling that you're hoping he's going to go where you want him to go. And that's not happened. And unfortunately, that's been Watford's problem all season. Individual errors, especially at the back. And, and that, for me, is going to be a key issue going along. Because pressure starts to build. And as a defender, as much as you try not to make a mistake, the more you think about it, the more likely you are to make a mistake. Brentford has earned points in four of their last five games, including the three points they earned with that win today. On the other side, that's where we find Watford and their manager, Claudia Ranieri. Let's hear his reaction after losing 2-1. to one. Claudio, having had not one but three points in your sights, just how difficult is it to take tonight? Yes, uh, it's unbelievable because we were winning 1-0. We had the chance to score the second goal and finish the match. But of course, Brentford pushed a lot. Uh, at the end, we make three mistakes for, for the penalty. It's unbelievable. It's finished the match. OK, we drew, finish, finish the match. We can put the ball, a short ball, you make mistakes twice and the penalties and other mistakes. And they, at the end, we had to say Brentford deserved to win. Well done to them. Was that the key in the end? Poor decision-making on your part at the back? Yes, I know. Uh, but uh, we want to go straight away forward. But we, maybe we were too scared about them because there were a lot of space to, 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 to do something more. We are ready to do much better this. But it's okay. We can learn, just to learn. But I wanted some points. How much did you need that second goal looking back? Yes, of course, we needed a second goal. Uh, but they scored the second goal. You made a change in the second half. You took off Tom Cleverley. You put on another forward player in João Pedro. What was the thinking there? Yes, uh, uh, Tom was... Uh, he gave everything. Everything, and I put another, another midfielder. So, uh, Joe Pedro often, when he came on the pitch, uh, made a very good uh, games. Today, were not so good, but he's a young. He had to improve a lot. You made it clear coming into this game that these were now the kind of point games that you needed points from. You needed something to show from it. How much of a missed opportunity does this feel here yeah, and now? We missed a lot of opportunity today because uh, we know it was an important match. But maybe a lot of them, uh, the Brentford uh, team, were ready to the battle. And some my players, no. Some yes, some no. And uh, we had to understand... The, the Premier League is a, is a fighter, quality, everything. And you have to be smart in every situation. What is your message to your players here and now? Because this is a, a particularly difficult setback to pick them up from. Yes, I know. We played much better against big teams. And today we were, I don't know, a little nervous because we uh, made so many mistakes. We passed badly sometimes. And I don't understand why. Appreciate your time, Claudia. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to you. Played much better, yes, but as Robbie mentioned a moment ago, Premier League can be awfully cruel. <laughs> There's your living yeah. example right there. They played nine games mm. under his leadership, yeah. and they only have six points to show for it. Yeah, not enough. Today, it's interesting, just before the equaliser came, there was a fear of winning about his team. They dropped back. They were scared of what that win might be. 
And then when it got to 1-1, there was the fear of losing, and that's when the Chusty Kong tackles come in, and then they get nothing. And he knows, this guy more than anybody knows, he's won a Premier League title. At the top of the table, to win a Premier League title, you need clean sheets. At the other end of the, the scale, if you're in a relegation fight, to stay in the Premier League, you need clean sheets. A clean sheet today, five to ten minutes at the end of that game, meant Watford won the game. And that's the difference, and that's what he's got to drill into this group. I think one of the big things, when, when you look in particular, whether it be successful teams, teams down at the bottom, it's all about game management. And no matter what game you play in, there's times when you're going to be riding the crest of a wave, there's going to be other times when you've got to hang on. And like Robbie's quite clearly said, they win one, they're, they're winning one none. It's like, what, what do we do now? What do you do now? And, and, it, and it was a case of then trying to protect it. Then it goes to 1-1, then they're dropping in even deeper. And I know as a defender that when you're under a lot of pressure, you drop deeper and you drop deeper. But that's when you need the leaders, you need the organisers and the team to say, listen, we cannot push that high up, because, drop that deep. Because if we do, we're just inviting the pressure and there wasn't enough Watford players trying to organise to do that. Dan, let me chuck one at you then. Mm. Will he still be in charge if this <laughs> continues? This is an ownership group that don't mind switching the seats and musical chairs in the manager's um, position. If things don't go well, do you think they'll go for one more change between now and the end of the season to give them a chance? January's massive. I always say the January transfer window is more important for the teams near the bottom of the league than it is for the top of the league. If Ranieri doesn't get what he wants and he's not successful after January, then 100% I can see him changing because they have no fear of doing that. They've done it in the Championship and they've done it in the Premier League before. A lot of disappointment from right now. Maybe a glass half full next two matches against squads that are right now bottom half of the table. They got the job done. They'll yeah. take that, won't they? We were, yeah. we were hearing there Arlo talking about small margins. Sometimes it's just about going away on a rainy day and mm. grinding out the three points. Back to back clean sheets from Ragnik in, in, in the Premier League. Two one nil wins. They'll be they'll be better. They'll play more flowing football, but baby steps. The structure is there. We're hearing from one or two sources that maybe they're doing a, a lot of work in training, and Ragnik might just have to get the balance between doing the hard work that he wants to do on the training ground, but leaving enough in the tank that he can go full out on, on, on a weekend. But against a difficult Norwich team who were well set up, you take the points, you take the, the win and you move on. Because that's a difficult balance to strike. He wants them to get fitter, mm. but at times you felt they looked quite tired today, Manchester United. I thought they looked tired. I don't think the press was anywhere near the same as it was against Crystal Palace. I think they need to go in there and thank David De Gea. We're going to see in the highlights two or three really great saves. Um... A win is a win. A clean sheet, he talked about the importance of yeah. clean sheets. Uh, so that's always good when you look at the scoreline. I just, with the football, their general possession, their build-up play, I think the manager will want more from his team. On a, of course, on a, on a longer scale of time. But Robbie, how does he find the time? They've got another game midweek, then another game next weekend, then it's the Christmas period and the New Year period. Yeah, how does he find the time on the training ground? Well, that's what he's got to try and do. You, you know, there's still days where they're going to be out on the training ground. Um, You've got to be careful, Rob, haven't you? You've got to get the balance. Look, the if amount you, of work. If, if you do too much work. And, and I also think this is, is a game that kind of highlights that it's not going to be easy just walking into Manchester United. It's all going to start coming. Yes, they got a 1-0 last week. But this is a club that, for the last two or three years, haven't been playing with a system and, 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 and a style of play. That's going to take some time to get ingrained. OK, well, the fans seem to love them there at the end. And they are up to fifth now in the Premier League. So let's take you back then to Carrow Road and get some post-match thoughts from our commentary team, Graham and Arlo. Thanks, Rebecca. How would you grade that Manchester United performance? Uh, average. When De Gea's man of the match, then, you know, any team of the stature of Manchester United, with the quality they've got, when your goalkeeper's man of the match, then you know you haven't played that well. And, and it's, again, trying to get that balance. You know, different manager, same problems. You know, you fit in Ronaldo, Fernandes, Rashford, who doesn't look confident at all in the team trying to understand whether you're a counter-attacking team, a high-pressing team, and it's going to take a long time to iron out some of those uh, some of those problems. And, and for the players, they need to try and get a clear mind and a clear head around what they're doing, what their roles are, and what style of football they're going to play. So it is most definitely a work in progress. Um, <laughs> you're happy with the penalty decision, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, at first I thought it was soft, and then when you see the replays... Um, and that can often distort things slightly, but Max Aaron's arm, I think, was, uh, it, was, it was too much. The pull was, was too obvious. Have Norwich got enough to stay up? Because losing their opening six games, they were, they were done and dusted mm. and people were calling them one of the worst teams ever in the Premier League. But things have ticked up a little bit yeah. since Dean Smith took over. Yeah, and they, they, I thought they played well. You know, box to box, I thought they played really well. Um, but the problem is, as I said in the commentary, 
when you've got a really limited budget relative to everyone else, trying to get players that can perform at that level and execute at the top end of the pitch really, really hard. You get, you know, Pukki's a good player, but is he good enough at this level? Last time round he wasn't. I worry that that's where they're going to struggle. But nice team to watch and a good identity to them. David, obviously we can tell there's difficult conditions here today. Norwich played so well as well. Is there an element of relief that you've been able to walk away with all three points? Well, we, uh, we, know, we knew uh, we, we came here to play against uh, a difficult team because I think they, they improved uh, the last uh, couple of games with the new manager. They are with more confidence. I think they showed today that they are uh, they're playing much better. Uh, but it's 1-0. It's a big three points for us. I think the team shows character again. Uh, we tried to press the whole game, so but at the end, the last 15-20 minutes, we we give uh, the ball away uh, too quickly, so they create some problems, and then we defend quite well. And the game-changing moment fell to Cristiano Ronaldo in front of goal from the penalty spot. Was there ever any doubt in your mind that he would score that? Well, it's, he just make himself uh, just scoring goals all the time. It looks like he's not in on the game, but but then one chance, one goal. Oh, uh, and then, like I said, we defend really well, uh, compact as a team, and, and uh, yeah, ma- massive points for us. And it is his 13th Premier League goal already this season. Um, the forward line, though, they did seem to lack a bit of synergy at times today. Do you think that the players are just getting used to the new system under the new manager? Yeah, we, we've been like one week uh, with the new manager, so we are used to, to playing the way he wants, the way he wants, but yeah, it, it takes time to to make uh, more more improve on what, what, what he wants. So at least we are winning, we are winning games, that's the most important thing. And we are not conceding goals, so this is uh, massive for us. And you were needed to make some crucial saves today as well. How was that game for you today? Yeah, I was feeling very good. I was enjoying the game. I was even enjoying the rain. <laughs> so yeah, it was great to, to make saves, to help the team to win this game. And it is two wins now under the new manager. You're level on points with West Ham as well. How much confidence will this performance and the result give you going into that race You know, with the likes of West Ham and all the other clubs who want to finish in the top four? Yeah, when you're winning games, it's easy to, to, to take confidence from the games. Uh, I think we are, we are improving, of course. Uh, I think the most important thing is we are not conceding goals. Uh, the, the weeks before, we are conceding lot, lots of chances, lots of goals. So... I don't know, it's great to see the team winning, winning games away and winning games uh, with, with controlling the game. So it's, it's good. Well, it's definitely a happy Manchester United camp, but a little relief, I'm sure, mixed in there as well. Because as you said um, at the end of the game, Norwich played really well. They're so much better now under Dean Smith than mm. they were under Daniel Farker. But they've got to buy a striker, haven't they, in January? <sighs> Well, they've got one striker that scores plenty of goals. It's maybe not, it's the others that've got to step up a little bit. Maybe midfield players that need to score more goals. But performances, we talked about earlier on about performances mm. being important. The performance was really good, really good against Manchester United. Almost the same possession, the same as Man United with five shots on target. You know, I'd, I'd say that those you know, goalkeeper had to work more for United. So if they keep playing like that, they have got a chance of staying in the division. We know their bottom right now, the, the goal difference is horrible, but I thought there's so much good stuff to take away from that Norwich performance. Rob? Yeah, I, I think a few weeks ago we were thinking under Falkland, well, we're done, that group. I think they've got hope now. And you look at the games, Rebecca, 10 of the games they failed to score in. They've got eight goals in 16 Premier League games. On that ratio, they'll get 19 all season. That ain't going to keep you up. So somehow they have to find a way to get goals, whether they go to the transfer market and take a gamble in January on somebody, because I don't see an awful lot of goals from too many other places. It is normally a gamble in January, though, Mm. isn't it, if you do go for a striker? Yeah, and and, and I think in their position, it's a gamble I'd take, Rebecca, with the structure and the work that Dean Smith does. Their, their football's better. If their football gets better, others will get a chance to score. They almost scored, like, three goals today. And they're not adrift. They're just three no. points right. away from safety as things stand. Well, Ralph, it's another 1-0 win. Achieved in a very different way this evening, would you say? Yes, it was an away game, a very physical, intense game. Um, I already told Dean that they played extremely well, I thought. They didn't at all play like a bottom team always uh, proactively defending forward. Uh, in fact, they played as, uh, like we played against Crystal Palace. Um, in the first 30, 15 minutes, we were struggling tactically, but then it was better. Um, we didn't allow them that many chances in the first half. In the second half, 
we had a better body language up front, but still allowed them too many chances and corners and whatever. So in the end, it was also David Gea who made sure that it was a clean sheet in the end. So those tactical struggles you mentioned, what caused those? Yes, it's about intensity of the game, physicality, body language. On this kind of level, you need to be physically present. And this was not always the case. In some situations, it was the case, but not always. And if you want to keep control on a game like this one, you have to be physically present. And uh, this was not the case uh, in, on, all, on all positions. So you've mentioned that a couple of times, body language. What was wrong with the body language? Yes, of course, some of our players are technical players and uh, today there was not so much space for technical solutions and then you need to, yeah, to, need, you need to be physically brave and, and, more, and, and, and compete on that kind of level uh, with regard to physicality and this, uh, this was uh, something that we didn't do on all positions. So I, I wondered, I mean, it looked a lot less uh, aggressive a performance compared to Crystal Palace. Was that deliberate or was that something that disappointed you? No, it was you? not deliberate. We intended to play like that but it was an away game today and the other team played much more aggressive than, than Crystal Palace did against us and therefore we, yeah, we, we need to raise our level of intensity in, in games like that. So how, how, how hard will that be to get some of those attacking players up to that uh, level of aggressiveness? Uh, it's not only a, a question of individual players, it's how we play together as a team, but of course it's also a question of who wins balls, what about the second balls, um, do we get the second balls and uh, as I said it was not, on, on each position it was not the same. Do you learn more in a way from an evening like this one than you did against Crystal Palace? Tell you more about your team? Yes, you learn with every game but uh, <clears throat> still at least we got the three points, another clean sheet but we need to improve, we need to get better, that's for sure. And um, again, on Tuesday, the next away game, difficult one, I saw Brentford yesterday um, against Watford. This will be another challenge for us. Can I just ask you lastly about Victor Lindelof and how he is? Yeah, he had a collision, he can't even remember what it was, but he was uh, struggling to, to, to breathe, so he, he said he, he felt pain on his chest, but right now they, they checked him, they did all the tests and everything seems to be okay. That's good to hear. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Time now for this morning's boot room and there really is a glaring topic that we have to talk more on and address and that is the storyline around Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Yesterday, dropped from the squad by Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta due to what he said pre-game was a breach of discipline. Now, after the game, he didn't want to be drawn on it. We heard his post-match interview a few moments ago. Robbie Musso, I'm going to start with you because yesterday... When we had a few minutes to talk about this, I said to you, whose side are you on? And you said, I'm not on anybody's <clears> side because I don't know what he's done. Well, according to our Premier League insider, David Ornstein, he did go to France, we think, on a trip that was okayed by Mikel Arteta, but then came back late, which then had COVID protocol mm. knock-on effects, and he couldn't then play. Mm. Now, whose side are you on? Is it as simple as that? whose side should I be on? He broke discipline. He was out of order. So I agree, discipline is forthcoming for the captain. He should know better. And yeah, OK, that, that's not being five minutes late and getting humili humiliated by dropped out of the squad, which has happened before with him. Um, bigger picture-wise, is it the right way to manage him? That's what I'm thinking about, Rebecca. Yeah, he was out of order. He's, he's your captain. He... Not right now, but he's kind of your star player. You've got a lot of money invested in Aubameyang. He's a maverick player. He's got a little bit of ill discipline in him. I'm telling you right now, I guarantee many other clubs, many other players have the same issue. I'm sure I can tell you lots of stories of my club, my position where we have players, our best players, that were terrible trainers, that were terrible pros, but I want him in the team with me. I want to play with him. I don't want to be affected by my manager disciplining one of our bad pros because it affects us. I still believe there's other ways of managing Aubameyang that you discipline him, you make an example in some ways. Don't make it private, uh, public, in my opinion. Don't make it public because you risk losing him. I said the same thing back in March when he was dropped from the North London derby. The camera's on his face, looks miserable. It was COVID, there's nobody else there. It's a bad look. It's, it screams conflict. It screams, is there a future for these two? 
I, I thought the things were okay. It's popped up again right now. Now, again, I am not saying that it's okay to go away and you're affecting people COVID health wise, absolutely out of order. I just questioning the right way of managing a player that I'm assuming, by the way, and we'll get onto this, that is important for Arteta. Maybe he's not. It's interesting because actually the North London mm. derby, we saw pictures of him there. Yeah. They won that game. Yeah. And yesterday, <laughs> yesterday, they won that yeah. game as yeah. well. Where do you stand on the way Arteta has <clears throat> managed the situation on both, t- on both occasions? I'm trying to think about this yesterday, Rebecca, and based off, off what Musty says, and, and he makes some valid points in terms of these often different ways. We've all been in clubs. We've all had that guy. I was trying to think... What if I'm a Bamiyang? What if I'm a goal scorer? What if I'm a guy, but I'm not great with times. I'm not great with rules and regulations and doing things, but I'm a player and you either sort of take me or leave me kind of situation. I kind of feel as though, from his point of view, he's probably thinking exactly all what Musty says. Well, you don't have to go public on this. Yeah, I'm not, I didn't come back on time. It's only a day because that's how some people think. But, and here's my big but, I don't think Mikel Arteta can allow that in his position at this football club at this time. We talked about the top coaches. We talked about the fear, maybe, that Brendan Rodgers doesn't have. We talk about culture at a football club, Rebecca, and it's probably easy to pick out Liverpool as one, where Jurgen Klopp's gone into that football club and changed the culture, changed the way they, they work, changed the attitude, changed the outlook of the football club. But I want to give you a bigger, more recent example of why that culture is important. David Moyes at West Ham United, in the last 18 months to two years, has changed the culture of that football club. That football club used to have players who did what they want, didn't pick up in games, didn't tackle, didn't, weren't bothered when they didn't have the ball, and were mid-table. And David Moyes just said, no, no, that, that doesn't work anymore. You set a standard, you set a way of behaviour on and off the pitch. And because of that, Mikel Arteta, at this stage of his career, has to look for Saka, for Smith-Rowe, for uh, Martinelli, for Odegaard, all those young players who, if you allow Aubameyang to get away with this, to, to not go public, those boys start thinking, well, I suppose if I have a day off and don't come back, I'm OK. Well, that's what's interesting. But can you not set an example privately? Correct. I'm just trying to think, Rob, of examples where mm. those managers and those the great managers of big clubs in yeah. recent years have, have made it so public that there's a fallout. And yeah. the manager coming mm. on with his coldness. He can, be, he can seem pretty cold, Mikel Arteta, and, and obviously pillory him or, or, or humiliate him in some ways. But he's I meant just don't to do that, hasn't strong he, managers. Yeah, but he's, meant, he's definitely meant to do that, hasn't he? By, by putting that out and, and putting it first and then right. not wanting to speak up, he definitely wanted to get it in the public domain. Which then brings me to the thought process of Mika, of um, Mesut Ozil, that again under Arteta was given opportunity, and I felt at the time right, right, he's 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 not having him. He wants him out. Does he want him out? Possibly. That's what I said. And is you this, know, is this take it all, of a, of a take policy? It, take me all, all leave it kind of situation. But also, I think Arteta's in in, in a tough place here because when. People were getting sent off. When there was indiscipline, we were saying, he's got to get hold of this group. He can't let them think. Now he's getting hold of this group and, and we're criticising him again. I mean, you, you, it, it's a rock and a hard place for a manager. And he's, a, he's an intelligent... It's, 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 it's private or public. Yeah, but he's an intelligent manager and he's obviously thought about what is the best thing for this football club in this group. And, for, and whether he's right or wrong, he's decided to go public on it, which I think he wants to push it. Well, I think he wants him out of the football club, Rebecca. There's another argument as well in that what he did in March when he dropped him for the North London derby mm. didn't, didn't, didn't deter didn't Aubameyang. Yeah. It didn't Cause, work. Because that's it? who he is. Aubameyang is that person. But then that's not OK. No. So if, if you're not OK with putting up with it, they say all, the, the stories go back to Eric Cantona at Manchester United was a bit different. So Alex handled him and they got the best out of him. If Mikel Arteta is not prepared to take those things and handle them, he's probably going to say, do you know what? For us right now, I've got, I'd rather let him go and get somebody else in who wants to work. I might not get as many goals, but I get less problems. Well, the problem, you mentioned Mesut Ozil, is that he's on around £300,000 a week. There aren't many places, and he signed a new three-year mm. deal last August. There aren't many places that are going to be able to afford those wages. He's not going to want to go. Now, when you look at his performances this season, he's not having a very good season. In fact, he's having his worst season as an Arsenal player. Mm. A lot of misses, Robin Musso. Do you mm. think he is playing like somebody that has other no, things on his mind, like somebody that maybe isn't having a great relationship with the manager. He's not playing like the Aubameyang that we've seen. Well, I totally agree with what you just said. 
I think he's playing. He looks like a player that's, that doesn't want to run through a brick wall for his manager. And again, it, it, it's, it's not OK to do what he's done, but he's been a brilliant striker for many, many years, Rebecca. He hasn't changed over the last six months what he was like at Dortmund and, and early in his career. It, it managers have, have, have dealt with it and they've worked around it and he's been a brilliant player. Now, if Mikel Arteta wants everybody to be squeaky clean and never be anybody late, then, he's, then, then he, he, he rolls out a lot of maverick type of players and maybe he's trying to push it publicly because he doesn't really want him there because he mm. wants to go with Enketia or, mm. or different young players to come into the club that mm. we've seen in different areas. Mm. I get that, but it smacks of like, wow, like we've just given this huge contract and there's no way that, that Aubameyang's going to want to play for Mikel Arteta anymore. Mm. He came back before after the last episode and did okay, got a few goals. I, it's just not the same and, I, and I, I, I just question the way he's been managed, Rebecca, unless... Arteta and the club have said, you know what, let's try and get rid of him. Mm. Let, let's, let's push him away um, and see if somebody else will pay part of his wages to take him on loan for a couple of years or something. He's 32 years of age as yeah. well. So it's, uh, you know, the, the, the signing and, and committing so much money to somebody again is, is looked like it's backfiring for Arsenal. Do you see him in an Arsenal shirt again? No, actually. I think they might try and get him out in this January window. I think it's got to a stage where... Not sure the, the trust on either side is there anymore. Yes or no? I think I agree with the second part. I think we will see him again. I don't. I don't think he'll bomb him out of the squad uh, through into January and beyond. But I. But I. I tend to think the more you think about it, mm. uh, maybe they're going to try. Interesting and get him out what in the fans think about it as well, isn't it? What, what, what they oh. think about and it. It'll be interesting if we hear from Aubameyang at mm. any point on his social media mm. or anywhere because mm. it's certainly a mess right now between Arteta and Aubameyang. That was the topic. This morning, hope you enjoyed it here in the boot room. Big game coming up against West Ham here. Will your captain Abamyang be available for that one? Let's say I want to talk about the game today. Can you not talk about what happened though with? I can with talk the about the game, and I want to focus on the game because these boys deserve to be talking about the game. But it is a big issue. You have to accept that the fact that your captain didn't play today and you disciplined him. I said how unfortunate um, it is the situation, but um, applies to everybody. Can he stay as captain after his latest breach? Let's talk about the game. Thank you so much. When will you talk about Aubameyang then? I already have. I don't have anything else to say. Let's move and talk about Liverpool. I teased before the break that you've got some information for us around Mo Salah, their most important player, maybe some other players as well, and their manager, David. What can you tell us? Well, the information on Mo Salah is that there is no real development. And that, I think, is newsworthy in itself because his contract expires in 2023. Liverpool will be desperate to renew him. He has publicly stated that he would like to continue and agree a new deal at Liverpool. But there has been no progress on that front. They have not reached an agreement so far. Clearly, his expectations have not been met by Liverpool in talks to this point. Now, Liverpool are always incredibly careful about their contract negotiations, especially when players such as Salah are going to be entering their 30s. It's a critical decision when you're spending, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of pounds a week, a great uplift on what he's earning at the moment. And there will be interest from around Europe in him, of course. He's arguably the best player in the world at the moment. But which other clubs will be able to afford him? That is a big question that him and his agent might want to uh, answer. I think there will be a compromise reached from people I speak to to extend Mo Salah. Many Liverpool fans feel it's inconceivable that they don't. They should give him whatever he wants. There's not much mentioned, however, about two other players who expire in 2023 as well. They are Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino. So Liverpool will be looking to succession plan. I was in Milan on Tuesday at the AC Milan versus Liverpool Champions League game. And the word among people I was speaking to is that they are already looking at targets for how they can rejuvenate that front line in due course. So I think watch this space. If it's not in January, when they do have to think about losing Mane and Salah to the Africa Cup of Nations, then it would certainly be in the summer. And then if we flip this conversation to 2024... Jurgen Klopp's contract comes to an end and there is a feeling that he will take a sabbatical, some time out after his reign at Liverpool. And if indeed he does that, it will raise the question of who comes next. Steven Gerrard has almost been um, hailed as the successor in waiting, uh, a Liverpool legend, of course, and he impressed at Anfield yesterday with his Aston Villa side. He's done well with Rangers and in these early days at Villa. But 
FSG, Liverpool's owners, will give no guarantees to somebody like Steven Gerrard, regardless of sentiment. There are people at Liverpool who feel Pep Linders, the number two to Jurgen Klopp, is a real strong candidate because of this process of promoting from within which Liverpool like. And that leads us on to uh, a decision to promote Julian Ward to replace Michael Edwards as sporting director. And he's very highly rated in the game, but it shows that Liverpool don't always look external. And I'll finish with Ward because he has a big job on his hand, hands. What to do with Salah? His biggest test, really, since uh, replacing Edwards, which will become formal in the summer. Those other contracts we mentioned, and of course the future of Jurgen Klopp. Meanwhile, Liverpool are flying on the pitch. They look to be rejuvenated after a difficult 2020-21 uh, to 21 season. It's exciting times for them, but... It's not a small matter of what they've got to deal with away from the field. Love it. Love the detail. As always, our thanks to our Premier League insider, David Ornstein. Jürgen, that was an engrossing game to watch, was it not? What was it like for you? Well, 75 minutes were outstanding. We played an outstanding football. Clear, better side. We played in all their, the areas we had to play. Came through, passed through, created moments not 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 one not no-brainers or what uh, these kind of things but we were played outstandingly well to be honest go one it up and uh, and then the game um yeah, opens up let me say it like this um they changed a little bit but we changed too much we, we lost the rhythm and that's the problem in football if you lose the rhythm it's difficult to get it back so you better hold it from the beginning if you want anyone stepping up for a pressure penalty he was the right man was he not yeah, and, and, and the situation how we played it again in this in this moment. So how often we came in a, in, a, in a really full box, completely free for a cross. Then we didn't find a free player because too many legs, Aston Villa legs in a box. But that was again the triangle on the right side worked really well. Mo goes in this one-one. It was I think for Minks not really easy to 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 to, to avoid the situation. So that's it. You seem to have a few penalty appeals at the other end in the first half as well. What did you make of them? No, the one, the one with Robo, I thought it's a clear penalty, but I, I didn't see it back then. So that, that's how it is. And honestly, we are now we won the game one 0 so it's all fine. Uh, but of course, if, if it would be a draw, and I don't know if it was a clear penalty or not, the ref saw it obviously different. Um, so that's what we have to accept. But um, yeah, I don't know. I know it's all about Liverpool for you, but Stephen seems to have made quite an impression fairly early on at Aston Villa, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. He did. He is obviously he's a good coach and has a really good stuff around. So it's it's really strange when you when you meet before the before the game, like the whole coaching, not the whole, but a lot of the coaching staff, um, you know, from from your own club. That's strange, but um, they they do what they do, and um, yeah, everything okay. What an ending! What a player, Robbie Earl. Let's mm. talk yeah. about Connor Gallagher. Conor Gallagher is a player we saw in the second half of the season um, at West Bromwich Albion last year under Sam Allardyce and we saw a young, industrious, could go from box to box and you're thinking, if he can tidy up his game, he, 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 he could be a player. What we've seen at Crystal Palace in the 15, 16 games we've seen now is a potential star of the Premier League. He has energy and drive. We talked about it before the game. He's a spark that somebody like Everton would kill for to have in their middle of the park. He's infectious. He gets forward, Rebecca. And we did a little breakdown of him today. And we started it early. And we said, you know what? It's one of those days. Let's keep an eye on, on Conor, Conor Gallagher. He's always looking to get in and around the box, be in the, the area that hurts, to get goals, to get productivity, to make sure he's, he's around chances. He, he brings great energy. You see him going backwards and forwards. You see him winning balls in midfield. You see him geeing people up. He's still learning his career at this age and still learning how to be a Premier League footballer. But his moment at the end sums up what he's all about. Never say die attitude. When he's in a team of maybe more experienced professionals who were starting to get nervous, who, were starting, who weren't quite sure how to finish the game out, he comes up with a moment like that. that make, that's a special player who can do that. I've got two questions for you. If there is a clause in the loan between Chelsea and Palace yes. where in January he can go back, if, you, if you're too cool, do you take him back? If you're Conor Gallagher, do you want to go? Yeah, well, the second part's tougher. The first part is, yes, I'm sorry, Palace fans. If there's a, if there's a clause that they can recall him, why wouldn't you do it? Would he want to go back is really interesting because I don't think there'd be any guarantee of playing time. I can't imagine he's going to enjoy his football any more than he's enjoying it right now. Um, <clears throat> if you're him, that, would you go? I would. 
I'd go back because, because I want to prove myself. I want to be in that first team. We've chatted about it off camera. Yeah. You can see him fitting into their midfield. I know it's not really the way that they play at the moment. Um, other teams as well. We start to talk about other clubs that might want to take him. I just want one point to add on to that package and, and what Rob's saying there is at West Brom and Crystal Palace, you know, in my experience, it's hard to be an outstanding young midfield mm. player in those teams, Rebecca, because mm. they don't often get a ton on the ball. There's not amazing players around to see some of his runs and to link with him. He's doing this average teams. Like, they're better than average teams. Or this Palace team, I think, is better than average team. But it's not easy to be outstanding. And that's why we took notice at West Brom. Wow. Like, 21-year-old kid coming in and looking to start. He's got everything. Physicality, technical ability, goal to midfield. That's valuable in this league. Today, though, it does feel like an even bigger statement from Conor Gallagher. Let's hear from the Palace midfielder right now. I just wanted to get a little bit nervy towards the end. Was that the perfect way to settle it? Yeah, definitely, definitely the perfect way. Um, I feel like it was a fantastic performance from from us. Uh, obviously, uh, conceding the goal made it a bit of a nervy last 20 minutes, but um, we defended brilliantly and and the goal at the end just just killed off the game and it was great. Well, you've lost your previous three. Is it understandable when it gets a bit jittery like that? Yeah, this this game was massive for us. Um, as, as you said, we've lost the last three, so to get three points today was really important and I felt like the performance was brilliant and three points is unreal. What was different today, do you think? I don't know. I felt like we, we have been unlucky the last few games, although we haven't played our best. I feel like today we just we really wanted to give the fans a good performance and, um, and we did. First goal, was that perhaps some mistakes by Everton, but also reward for your pressing as well as a team? Yeah, yeah, I felt like we pressed well. Um, credit to Jordan as well, he gave me a good pass. Uh, and yeah, I was happy to score then as well. That's your second double, six, six Premier League goals right now. Six now. Where, where has that come from? So, some good finishing. <laughs> now, to be fair, the, the last one was that feeling's incredible. Um, I think I, I won the ball back. And I've got Christian right, right behind me telling me to leave it. Uh, there's no chance I'm leaving it. <laughs> Is that easily the best of the six? Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> well, you're not officially one of theirs, but what does it mean to you how much this lot have taken to you, this crowd? They absolutely love you. No, I love it, honestly. Them just, just singing my name right now is, is, is a great feeling for me. You know, they give me confidence. Uh, which is amazing for a player, and um, hopefully I can continue to impress them. In the right way, you don't look like the sort of person who is short of confidence, though. No, um, I always give my all. Uh, every time I play, I work my hardest, um, and I try and fit, I try to affect the game as much as I can. Were you aware just how good Everton's record was here at Palace? In fact, the oh, last time, the only time Palace have ever beaten them in the Premier League, you weren't even born. Yeah. I didn't know 1994. That. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, it makes it even better, doesn't it? <laughs> How important is it as well now, having got this win, you've got a really big week yeah. that you build on this. You've got yeah. Southampton, then Watford. Yeah, I think that's another reason why this game was really important, um, to get the win. Uh, we got games that we need to get points from, um, but not where we want to be in the table, so hopefully we can pick up some points. How much are you looking forward to seeing that goal back? Can't wait. I can't wait to, to get back to the change room now. <laughs> I'll let you go. Well done. Thank you. Cheers. Can't help but love a massive smile across the face of Conor Gallagher. I can almost hear Thomas Tuchel sniffing about <laughs> that contract, checking if there's a clause in it, chaps. I'm sure he is, and usually they do have a clause, don't they? Whether Chelsea want him back in January, I'm not entirely sure. We'll have to wait and see. But that's one of the moments of the Premier League season so far. I mean, what a goal, and the Homesdale Road end just erupted, didn't it? He got a cap against San Marino in the last international yeah. break, didn't he? He's, he's looking good for the England World Cup squad, isn't he, at this rate? Absolutely. 21 years of age, and we talked about him in the game, about what he's got in his game, and he's got everything. He's got an eye for a, for a pass. He puts his foot in. He's got the energy, the desire, the heart, all of those things. But I liked his first goal better than his... his mm. You know, I mean, it's a spectacular goal. It's a, one of those where you take a chance near the end of the game. 
but the, the, the calmness of his first goal, he waited, he was in space, he knew he was going to get a pullback, and it's quite easy to hit that too hard and hit it over the mm. bar. He just waited and he passed it into the net. So I think that the first goal showed more about him than, than the, the, the brilliant second goal. Well, was that a bit of a throwback of a game of football? It yeah. was really spiky and tetchy, was, wasn't it? Yeah, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. It was great. I'm sure the lads in the studio, both of them two would have loved it as well, getting involved in that. And it was Premier League at its best. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't as many chances in the first half as would have liked, but Everton getting back into it really made it a, a finale at the end. It was just brilliant football. Um, Rafa Benitez and Everton. Yeah. How bad is this at the moment? Bad, really bad. And, and do you know, the thing is with it, with the run they've been on and then they bounce back against uh, Arsenal, you kind of knew that was going to happen. You know, we said in the call midweek when we're talking about what, what you could quite easily see Everton getting beat 3-0 mm. or they could quite nick a goal. They're, they're like that at the moment. They're not brilliant to watch, but they'll get the odd result here and there. They've got a lot of work to do on the training pitch. Only place you fix it. Only five points from the last 30, Rebecca. We'll talk to you next weekend. Time to reflect on the weekend's storylines. These are the weekend's results. Of course, no Brighton Tottenham game that was postponed. But around the league, big wins for Brentford, City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United, Leicester, and Crystal Palace. Now, Arsenal beating Southampton at home by three goals to nil. It was the subject this morning, mm. seems yeah. quite a long time ago now, <laughs> the boot room. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang wasn't yeah. named in the squad, Robbie Earl, because of a breach of discipline. And Mikel Arteta yeah. answered the question beforehand and said he's not in because he had a breach of discipline, which we later found out to be he returned home late from yeah. a uh, sanctioned mm. trip. But he didn't want to answer any questions about Aubameyang after. Yeah. He just said the punishment starts now. What yeah. do you think the future looks like for Aubameyang and Arteta? Well, the question is where do we go from here? Um, I think trust has been lost on both sides. You asked the question this morning, does he play again for the football club? Probably on reflection, he may do, Rebecca, because of the time we are in the season and the amount of games. Does he remain at the football club? I think, in the short term, no. I think that... Well, January, you think he might go? If they can get him out by January, I think they do. I think if you go public with something like this, as Arteta did, you know exactly what you're doing. You know that he, you're bringing all that attention to him. I think he's trying to push him and force him out of the football club. What do you think, Robbie Musto? I agree with the last piece that Robbie or said. Um, deciding to go public twice now in the space of, what, six months or Nine so? Nine months. Mm. Nine months. Mm. Um, I... I, I, I I don't like it. I don't see many others get caught out like that. I'm telling you right now, other star players are late regularly for meetings. Other star players will breach rules and do things they shouldn't do. But with Mikel Arteta, he's absolutely thrown it right out there in the media. It certainly creates a, an awkward situation, atmosphere between them. This is the captain, this is the top goal scorer, this is a guy that signed a new contract on Megabucks. And you're going you're gonna to create a scenario where, wow, are, are they, are they, you know, this awkwardness between them is going to continue. I'm not, I'm not saying it's the right thing, but many other managers would like, you know what, it's not available, COVID-related, he had a trip, he's not back in time, we'll sit him for this what, one. What happens the so next it can, time? It can totally... What happens the next time it happens, though? If it's a week or two weeks or two months, or what happens then? We do the same again, we keep it under the internet. What ha you know, how many times, where's the tipping point? Is he point? trying to set an example yeah, for the young yeah, players by doing I think it publicly? So. I think it's a culture thing, these Chinese. I, I don't like it publicly. I don't like it publicly. Uh, you'd be about, I, I think it's basically saying, listen, he's it, it, too much trouble. Here it is, everybody. This is what he does. We want to try and take his wages off the wage bill. Mm. We want to get him out. He's 32 years of age. You know, we want to bring younger players in. We've seen the younger players do pretty well at the club. You know, why else would you want to publicly shame the guy from what is, is, is not great behaviour, granted, but we don't hear it in many other clubs. Mm, that's quite a cynical point of view that perhaps his form is maybe contributing to them trying to get him out because he's not been brilliant. I don't agree with that, by the way. I, I wouldn't want to no, do that. But you think I, that could be happening? Could be happening. OK. Um, talking about not brilliant, Claudio Ranieri has come in at Watford, chaps, and they are still only two points clear of the bottom three. Just the two wins he's picked up, and they were quite some time ago. When you look at Ranieri and you look at a club like Watford, is it not unthinkable, therefore is it thinkable, <laughs> that Claudio Ranieri could be under some sort of pressure to lose his job over the Christmas period? 100% yes. Absolutely right. I think when he, when he came in, I think I might have said, like, well, may, maybe if it goes well, he'll, 
he'll continue, but, but if it doesn't, he could be gone by Christmas. You know, and, and the defensive side of things has been where he struggled. I think we all agree that the squad, there's some interesting attacking players that have looked pretty bright going forward. He hasn't got many more games, Rob. It just hasn't. It, there's the ownership. If they feel it's not going in the right direction, that's what they say many times, they'll bring somebody else to try and get that boost and try and move it in the right direction. It's all about momentum for these owners. And if a manager doesn't show that a positive one with their team, they make a change. How long have we got left in goal zone? <laughs> about 13 minutes. I'm just wondering, I'll research you over there. Don't rule anything out with this football club, Rebecca. What, you think might be fired today? They, they could sack him. <laughs> and yes, but they could sack him any time if results don't go. That's how they'll look. I don't think this, this ownership group will stay with Ranieri if things don't change going into the new year. They'll gamble again to stay in there. And at the moment, Ranieri who has great respect for what he'd done at Leicester and respect for some of the work he started at Chelsea particularly, has brought profile and personality to Watford, but not enough points. We've seen two wins, a great win against Manchester United, and they had another good win against Everton. Apart from that, defending all over the place. And the, the thing that is most disappointing is they've got a front line of Hernandez, Saw, uh, Dennis and King, who can all score goals. Mm. They can do the hardest thing, but they can't stop the ball going in the back of the net. But shouldn't the board look at themselves in the mirror if they do fire him again and be like, well, we can seem to be making a lot of mistakes here. I mean, we keep firing every few months. Maybe, maybe we should make better choices. <laughs> yeah, that be fair? yeah, possibly. And who's buying all the players? I mean, some of the recruitment's good and some of it isn't. And, and the coach is the guy that pays um, with his job if things don't go well. I mean, they, get, they can't. I mean, Gina Pozzo does a lot of the, the recruitment himself and his family do that. So it's going to be all on the coach. <laughs> OK, this weekend, penalties. Eight penalties awarded in nine games, five of them second-half winners. Robbie Earl, mm. some of these penalties, yeah. a bit dodgy, I think it's fair to say. We're yeah. going to show some of the more dodgy ones that you think. But also, overall big picture, why are we seeing so many penalties? Is that a technical phase, dodgy? Dodgy is definitely yeah. technical, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you, and you're right, because I think at the start of the season, the, the ball was raised high, and I'm not sure if too many of these that we saw at the weekend would have been given, Rebecca, because they're kind of borderline. They're, they're constantly... Contact, light contact and players going down. And what also was interesting this week is that referees seem to point to the spot straight away and then VAR will check it and VAR tends to come in and then sort of say, well, it's not a clear and obvious area because there is a hand here, there was a touch there, there was maybe did catch his arm and so they're agreeing with the referees. It almost feels to me, Rob, as though the shift, there's been a shift in, 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 in the sort of raising of the bar and all of a sudden now contact in the box of any sort of penalty. I mean, the Lascelles and Madison one, I thought, was just... I just think, if you're not sure, don't point to the spot. If you're not, it's, you get, The team's going to get a free shot from 12 yards. You've got to be sure. If that arm goes up and you haven't seen the ball strike the middle of the arm, don't give it, because VAR is there to help you out. But as Rob says, once you give it, it's still a really powerful decision because... Uh, clear and obvious error, I mean, that, well, no, no, not really clear and obvious. So that, that's the decision that sticks on the field. So please be really, really sure. Mm. And some of those contact ones, again, I thought particularly was, was uh, that Madison one was, was yeah. particularly bad. That should not have been given. The game-changing decisions, sometimes a backing can mean staying up and going down. That's how important they are. Yeah, I remember growing up, you hardly ever saw a live penalty. <laughs> now there's penalties in every, every, every single game. Ah, yeah, yeah. oh, the good old days. That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings, weekends at 7am Eastern on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. Bye for now.